0: All right, everybody, and welcome to the Pro Zone. This is Rick Del Santo, and joining me is a longtime friend, musician, and pro wrestling fan, Malcolm Tent. How are you, sir?
1: I am about to talk wrestling for an hour, so I feel pretty goddamn good right now.
0: Yes, that's right. You grew up in the Florida area, correct, which is a huge hotbed in the 60s, 70s, and through the uh, probably mid-80s or so.
1: Yeah, I'd right? say um, early 80s for sure, maybe mid-80s if you want to be charitable. I mean, Kevin Sullivan was booking like right up until about the mid 80s and right i mean are you going to get any much better than that angle i ask you
0: you're speaking with mark lewin and uh all the devil worship stuff that he was doing at the time period uh was it yeah. purple ha- purple the, haze
1: the purple yep. haze habuda dean the sacred <laughs> betel nut and as somebody pointed out kevin sullivan himself never once said satan
0: that's true actually yes i have i have read into that recently something yeah. similar
1: I mean, Dusty would say it, Blackjack would say it, but Kevin Sullivan himself never, ever said Satan or devil or anything. He sold it strictly right. as a like a mystical kind of right. angle, and people would just read into it whatever they wanted to, which was, of course, the devil. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like
0: crazy stuff. So, <laughs> you grew up, uh, like I said, in the Florida area. When did you discover professional wrestling?
1: Whew, that is such a it's such a funny story and is such a, 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 I'm, a I'm a good southern boy, you know, and it's such a good southern boy type of story. Right. For me, it began when I was a wee lad, probably about maybe seven or eight years old. Mm-hmm. And um, my granddad was a lay leader in the Methodist Church. Oh. And my, my grandma was the treasurer at the church okay. down at Opelika United Methodist. So every Sunday, we'd go to church, you know, mom and dad and the kids and grandma and granddad. And after we were done with church and all the church business, we'd go back to grandma and granddad's house and have a big supper, you know, Sunday afternoon. Right. And after supper, there was a, a small black and white TV in the dining room and the wrestling would come on. And uh, my grandma, mind you, the church treasurer would be sitting there at the supper table. The, like, the TV was always a little bit behind her because the table was here. The TV right. Was there. She'd be turned like, oh, referee, didn't you see him? Oh, you can't <laughs> let him do that. You go get him. You're not going to let him do that, are you? Oh, did you? you? know, I'm like, my grandma, the church treasurer, freaking out. And... Um, you know, I was very young, and I thought it was kind of gross, really. Right. You know, I, I didn't know what what it was that made my grandma act in such a an undignified fashion. I, I remember seeing midget wrestlers, you know, flying through the air, and uh, one of them was bald, I remember. And I thought that was just kind of gross and weird, too. I was not into it, you know? I just thought it was very strange and unusual and uh, just icky. Right. So, fast forward a few years to when I was maybe like 11, probably about 11 years old, and somehow just kind of stumbled upon it on my own. I I don't even remember how it was. I mean, I was an avid TV watcher when I was a kid. Right. Like, Like, who wasn't? Right. And most likely, I was just cruising around the dial one Saturday night. You know, it was the weekend, no school. And I probably just switched the dial over to Channel 6 in Miami. I was probably watching the Untouchables because they had Untouchables reruns from 6 to right. 7 on Saturday. And after after the Untouchables, at 7 was wrestling. So right there, like around spring, summer of 75, I just kind of stumbled back into it and... By that time I was ready for it I was ready right. I was ready for what championship wrestling from Florida had to offer, and I was hooked.
0: I love hearing that um so what was it or who was it on that television program that necessarily hooked you?
1: Well, I'll tell you man, the earliest matches I remember I remember a couple of tag team matches that just blew my mind. one of them was Rocky Johnson and Tiger Conway jr mm-hmm. versus, versus Terry funk and uh, I forget who else. The other one was uh Cyclo Negro and Killer Carl Krupp. All right. His, I think it was Rock, actually Rocky Johnson and Dusty Rhodes. I think it was the All team. All right. And oh my god, it, it just blew my mind, you know, the drama, the characters, you know, Tiger Conway Jr. with his giant afro and Rocky Johnson with the Johnson shuffle. And, of course, you know, Dusty Rhodes with the bionic elbow. And um, actually, it was um, Ole and Gene Anderson, the Minnesota Wrecking Crew. Right, yep. Were involved in one of those tag teams. I remember their their wrestling boots looked really cool. They had striped
0: boots. They were striped, yeah.
1: Yeah, it was like all this wild tag team action. These guys just looked so bizarre and evil and badass you know of course i hated the heels but i really thought they were cool right and i I just remember those tag team matches being the the gateway for me right so um shit i'm sorry
0: when did you go to your first live event that's another thing that that for some reason i didn't for me i discovered wrestling probably 1984 and then we can get back i'm sorry and then it wasn't until another four years later, I went to my first live event that absolutely hooked me. That first four years in between 1984 and 1988 didn't really hook me. I just kind of watched it casually. But 1988, my first live show at the New Haven Coliseum, WWF, of course, because of the area I I grew up in, I was automatically hooked and just became obsessed for, well, up until now. I just turned 45, so, you know, still pretty much into it, but...
1: yeah. Well, I couldn't tell you the exact date, but I'm pretty sure it it had to have been late 75, early 76. Mm -hmm. And this was really a very interesting way to start seeing live wrestling, okay? And I'll tell you why. The event was at uh, the Miami High Life Fronton, which was a, they, they had a few regular venues for house shows. The main one was the Miami Beach Convention Center, which I think ran every Wednesday, but they would also do shows on Thursdays at the Miami Highlight Fronton and sometimes at the Miami Dade Community College basketball gym. And the Miami Highlight Fronton and the Miami Dade campus were the closest to my parents' house. All
0: right.
1: So Miami Beach was a little bit further away. But um you know, either Miami Dade or the Fronton were easiest to get to. So, just one night, for whatever reason, my father said, Let's go, let's go to the matches. And I was like, Yeah, you yeah. know. So, we go to the Miami High Life Fronton, and um, we had really good seats. Um, I think we were like third or fourth row ringside. Oh, wow. Yeah. It, was, it was a great, great place to be. And I just remember the lights and the ring and how huge the ring was, you know. And then when the wrestlers came in, You know, I'd seen these guys on TV, but there they are in person, and it was, like, so exciting. I remember that one of the tag team matches was the Masked Superstars versus Tom Jones and Abe Jacobs. Okay. And Tom Jones and Abe Jacobs were dudes who were, like, always, you know, in the preliminaries. They never got above mid-card. And the Masked Superstars were, like, solid mid-card dudes. And I remember this my youngest brother and I were sitting in our seats and then this dude six net sits down next to us and I looked over at him and it was Jerry Stubbs. Oh my God. Wow. <laughs> right.
0: That's amazing. <laughs>
1: totally amazing. And I looked over at him. I said, Hey, uh, you, you, you know, I'm, I'm like, whatever, you know, 11 years old. And I'm like, yeah. you know, completely starstruck. Cause even though Jerry Stubbs is a total jobber in championship wrestling from Florida, he was still a wrestler and he was still mm-hmm. on TV and he's right. sitting right next to us with a bill after magazine. He had a copy of the wrestler with him. He might've even bought a ticket for all I know. Right. So Jerry right. Stubbs sits next to us. I say, Hey, you, you you remind me of Jerry Stubbs. And he just kind of laughed. <laughs> what do you know, kid? <laughs> but he started talking to us a little bit. And right before the match with, Tom Jones and Abe Jacobs versus the Masked Superstars, he said, kid, watch what's going to happen. That guy is going to lose his mask during this match. Well, I was like, what? How, how do you know that? Oh, shit. He didn't, he didn't say anything. What?
0: Yep. Uh, nope, go what? ahead.
1: Keep going. Okay.
0: Sorry. Um,
1: Gonna edit, uh, we're we're going to see how Rick's uh, editing works.
0: <laughs> it's mediocre. You're, uh, there you go. Okay. All right. It's mediocre at best.
1: <laughs> okay. Well,
0: <laughs> so okay, I'm still learning.
1: This will be like the scars on fine leather if this right. goes out like this. Um, so, anyway, Jerry Stubbs says, Watch, that guy's going to lose his mask. And I was right. like, What are you talking about? And sure enough, The masked superstar lost his mask, and it was Rip Hawk. Oh, okay. All right. So right away, I'm just like, I didn't know what to think. I do not know what was going on, you know? But obviously, I chose not to process that information.
0: Right. I I just
1: knew that somehow Jerry Stubbs was able to predict what was going to happen in the ring, and that was pretty exciting, too. And plus, the issue of the wrestler that he had was one I'd never seen before. So there's a lot of cachet going on right off the bat. I remember that Mike George wrestled one of the preliminaries. And during the intermission, my younger brother and I were sort of wandering around. And we saw Mike George over across by the snack bar talking to this really cute girl. And we were like, uh, should we go up and talk to him or, or you know ask him for an autograph? Or, uh, you know, well, he's talking to a girl. I don't know if we should do that. Eh. We just kind of decided to let him go and try to make time with the chick. Um, and then, you know, the matches began again. And the the headliner that night was uh, King Curtis versus Joe LaDuke. And it was, you know, I mean, like, I loved both of those guys. Mm-hmm. You know, Joe LaDuke, the Canadian freight train, he was a total, right. face, total face in Florida at the time. And King Curtis, as you can see, it's hanging right behind me mm-hmm. on the backdrop. King Curtis, the wild man from Singapore. Um, I was just astounded by the guy, and um, the match itself was kind of anticlimactic in a way because they only sold it once on TV right. the week before. There wasn't like a huge buildup for it, it wasn't like a right. big old program. I don't know, maybe they had maybe they had a hole in the spot somewhere and they had to just plug something in. So, um, you know, it wasn't the greatest match in the universe, but still, it was King Curtis and Joe LaDuke in person with 1100 wrestling fans going nuts and screaming and it was like so loud and you know i'll never forget the steam coming off of tom jones's head you know right. when he was standing there waiting to tag in with abe, abe jacobs and after the matches were over you know everybody's walking out and joel Laduke hopped out of the ring right when we were standing next to him and he kind of walked by us and the guy was like the size of a house <laughs> i right Right. couldn't even imagine a human being that big. So it was a hell of an experience. It was quite a way to begin one's live wrestling career.
0: I'm not familiar with uh, Joe LaDuke in Florida. I am familiar with him in uh, Memphis a little bit. Um, you see where he took the axe and cut his arm in Memphis, and then he had the test yeah. of uh, strength where he pushed the car back with the uh, uh, with Jimmy Hart, you know, the, yeah. put the car part. I remember that stuff. I don't ever... I'm not very unfamiliar with him in Florida. I I didn't even know he worked there.
1: Florida, unfortunately, they put him through what I call, and I've never gotten really had a chance to talk to people about this. This is really cool. What I've come to call the Eddie Graham faceless good guy mill. Mm -hmm. Where where all the good guys were just like, well, you know, Mr. Soley, it's a pleasure to be here, and I I think that the fans in South Florida are really the best, and the competition is absolutely the best in the world you're ever going to find, and it's just really a pleasure to be here and I'm just really, I'm just really, really glad to be here, Mr. Soley, and it's just really great to be here. You know, that's, that's all that Eddie oh, Kraman,
0: right, right. that's yeah. all he
1: let his faces do. And Joe LaDuke never talked.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, so really when he was in Florida, he had zero charisma. Mm. He was just this giant, bald Canadian dude, you know, and he made it, he was a much, much, much better heel.
0: Yeah, I think he was I didn't even know he worked babyface actually. Um I'm just familiar with his heel work, but um he was a great heel, you know, he was incredible with the, was all fantastic. the stuff he did. Yeah, yeah. He was and a ska- heel,
1: you know, and scary was, as fuck. Yeah. yeah. He was great on the mic, he had charisma, yeah. he was funny, he had the genuine the bug-eyed menace. You're right. And none of that in Florida. In Florida it all it all went through the strainer. Mm -hmm. You know, and all of all of Eddie Graham's good guys were just like so completely bland and quietly earnest, like blue collar working class, sincere guys who were just glad to be there. Right. You know, and, and the heels had so much more to offer Joe LaDuke. If he'd been a heel in South Florida, I think he would have been top all the way. Wow. So
0: growing up in Florida, obviously, Florida championship wrestling or was a championship wrestling from Florida at the time. Was the big thing, but did you ever explore outside of there? And you know, uh, I know there was magazines that basically, you know, the After mags. You could find out other stuff like New York, Memphis, and yeah. the mid Midwest and stuff. Did you ever actually get? I know in Connecticut we got different types of TV here in the eighties, but how about you? Did you get different TV type stuff out there, like in syndication?
1: We had we had one. Now, mind you, this is this is pre cable. You know, this is this is right all, yeah. but it was broadcast television. So you got championship wrestling from Florida on Channel Six. And then they would rerun that episode on Channel 51, the UHF station, mm-hmm. uh, I think late Sunday night. So, I, you know, I had to go to school, so I never saw the rerun. The right. only other wrestling that came in was on Channel 23, which was a Spanish station. And they would show NWA out of Los Angeles.
0: Okay, so I'm trying to think of who was the promoter at the time period. That
1: was, if uh, I recall correctly, Mike LaBelle.
0: Yes, or is it?
1: Yeah. Okay. Don't quote because I didn't know that. This is only stuff I kind (sighs) of know later. Right. But I know that the Los Angeles product was completely different from the Florida product because it was more based on the like the Mexican model, which is like more technical, more mat work, much slower paced. Right. Much slower paced than Florida. So I didn't like it nearly as much, but I watched it because it was wrestling. Mm-hmm. And they had some really awesome guys working there. Like my favorite tag team was uh, Gordman and Goliath. Those guys were good. Black Gordman and the Great Goliath, man, those guys were amazing. And Roddy Piper was just getting started at the time. He was calling himself the lean, mean machine. And uh, we, we called him the lean, green, Bean because he sort of, he was like this scrawny guy and his skin was, was a like,
0: lot skinnier back then. Yeah, yeah.
1: he was yeah. a skinny little guy and he looked kind of green, really. He looked had yeah. this sort of greenish skin. It was weird. <laughs> so I remember Roddy Piper is the lean, mean machine. And uh, John Tolos was sort of on his way out. Sir Oliver Humperdink was out there. And this is another case of the Willing suspension of disbelief because Humperdinck was working this angle where he has had his eye gouged out by Louis tillet and he was wearing an eye patch. Right, and then that kind of went yes. its own way, and he ended up in Florida a bit later, right. he had two eyes, you right. know, no eye patch, and, and and again, I was kind of like, oh, that's weird. Whatever, you know. <laughs> yeah, but
0: I think at the time, like you said, uh, the suspension of belief. People didn't realize, especially kids, you know, they didn't realize. I actually am more familiar with him in, you know, Florida and then uh, Humperdinck, I mean, in Florida. And then, you know, when he made uh, he made very brief appearances in WWF in like 1987. And then uh, he did a run in the, uh, the NWA slash WCW in like 1990, 91 for, you know, where he was with the Freebirds, uh, Hayes and Garvin at the time period. Mm-hmm. So when did you discover other forms of wrestling? outside of florida around that period or did you were you still a fan when you uh discovered like uh, other stuff later on
1: well here's the thing um i was an avid fan of wrestling from 1975 (laughs) to about early 1981 okay at which point i outgrew wrestling yeah because i was getting like like i like i got into music like Mm -hmm. super heavy duty around 1978 that's when I discovered punk rock. I discovered the Rolling Stones. Right. And by 1981, I was just really, really, really into music more so than wrestling. And I continued to follow wrestling. But right around that time, I just kind of lost interest, you know. right. Like the, the very tail end of my wrestling observing, get it? <laughs> <laughs> In 1981 was when Bugsy McGraw came into Florida, managed by Humperdink who had two eyes strangely enough <laughs> and um i loved i loved bugsy's raps
0: right
1: you know his, his his raps were astounding i even recorded one off the the tv speaker with a, a microphone into my portable cassette recorder because yep. was so off the wall but after that i just kind of lost interest you know mm-hmm. and I didn't, I didn't follow wrestling at all unless it would sort of pop up randomly on the radar like um Obviously the whole Cindy Lauper thing. Right. You know, that was you couldn't get away from it then. That was just everywhere. And I was like, oh yeah, Captain Lou Albano, I, I read about him in the magazines and you know, Fabulous Moolah. Yeah, I saw her in the magazines. It was just kinda like this vague nostalgic thing. And uh, for some bizarre reason I tuned into whatever late night show it was when Hulk Hogan was the guest and said, It's just entertainment, folks. It's just entertainment. And I almost vomited when I read when when he said that, man, I hated Hogan to begin with. I thought he was a, a jerk and an idiot and a fool. Uh-huh. And that 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 brand of professional wrestling just sucked flat out. But then when he went on national TV and said it was just entertainment, folks, I wanted to reach reach through the screen and grab him and choke his pathetic orange neck with my thumbs. I wanted to stick my thumbs into his Adam's apple and I wanted to hear the rattle as he expired painfully. I really wanted to do that to Hulk Hogan. I you might really be speaking.
0: Did. He basically. I wouldn't say he basically. But there was a big part. He had a big portion of uh, ruining it for its uh, belief that it was legitimate. I guess in a way. You know he was a very big. Obviously Vince McMahon. And I think you're referring to the Richard Belzer sh- show. Where he choked out Richard Belzer.
1: No, the... no, no. This was nope, when he, that's not when the he one. Public, he, when he oh, so this is great. much later. Jay Leno, or I don't right. know, whoever the hell it was, might, might have even been Johnny Carson still at the time. I don't know, right? He sat right. there at the desk, and the, the host said, Well, is it, is it, I don't know what if you got asked the question, but he said, It's just entertainment, folks. It's just entertainment.
0: <laughs> that's one thing, is that even as a fan for 40 plus years, uh, one thing is I hate that it's called fake. You know what I mean? Because I know I know many wrestlers. You know what I mean? I speak to wrestlers basically every day and I watch wrestling so much, and you've seen things happen, whether it be in the ring or whatever, people get injured. They break bones, they get hurt. So it may be predetermined, but there's definitely a uh, you know, there's definitely a legitimacy to it. You know what I mean? As far as like the outcome, sure. But
1: Well, it's an you know, art I don't
0: form. Exactly, exactly. It's
1: an art form. And I didn't really understand Exactly how much of an art form it was until I stepped in the ring myself during a very very short lived. Okay, know, so,
0: so I'm not going crazy because I think I do remember this, so I wanted to ask you about this.
1: Yeah, let's this talk about is, this. this. This was, and I I must stress that this that my involvement as a professional wrestler as a manager wouldn't even register as the tiniest slightest little blip on the radar of any Mm -hmm. wrestling history anywhere. But the fact does remain that for, that I did work a couple of matches and I did a couple of training sessions. I mean, I I weigh 136 pounds, (laughs) you know, and at the time, this is like 10, 11 years ago, I was like in my mid forties. I mean, for me to come on here and say, I was a professional wrestler would be the most disgusting overstatement imaginable. But, but, I did get paid. There you go. <laughs> I did take a beating, and I did actually learn some technique. Okay. And by actually getting into the ring with these guys and being taught how the moves work and how both guys have to work together to make a sequence happen and to put a move over i never really understood that it's two guys absolutely working in tandem with each other Mm -hmm. as partners to make the entire thing happen it was a very eye-opening and very educational experience and it made me appreciate it all the more well let's get into that a tiny bit uh, prior and then we can
0: go back. Who did
1: you train with? Uh, Jason, the sexiest man on earth. And I'm sorry, Jason. I know you hate that no. angle. I'm sorry. <laughs> I thought that Jason, the sexiest man on earth, was hilarious. Well,
0: okay. uh, he was a hell of a guy. He really was. Uh, nice guy. Where I live, right down the road from Star Street, uh, Side Street Bar in Hamden, Connecticut. And the first time I ever met him in person was after a WWF Monday Night Raw. In New Haven Coliseum, I go to the bar after, and he, along with a couple other ECW guys, were there. Him and his girlfriend Sherry. I don't know if Sherry knew
1: Sherry
0: very well. Yeah. Yeah. She used to come into your store, I believe, if I remember correctly. Yeah. So that was the first time I ever encountered him, and he and I had a couple mutual friends. So every now and again, he used to get his uh, give his tickets to get into ECW shows at the time. But hell of a guy, really nice guy. I remember him prior to ECW. Uh. Remember Eddie Mansfield? Obviously, you probably remember this guy. He's oh. one of the guys from the John Stossel thing where he exposed the business, cut himself, and came out and said it was fake because he somehow later on in the early 90s came back into the wrestling world and stated, uh, started a promotion. I believe it was either IWF or IWA, and it was out of Florida and um, it was on Sports Channel America. It was a really good promotion, had a lot of promise. Guys like Rob Van Dam were there under his real name, whatever his real last name, uh, Jason. You'd see guys like Tommy Rogers from the Fantastics uh, and you know other guys that would be like mid-carters in the NWA or whatnot just come into this promotion along with uh, other local guys. And Jason was there as a jobber or a preliminary guy, I should say. I don't like the word jobber, but he was in there as a preliminary guy prior to uh ECW opening by like a couple of years. And I do remember him there. So yeah, a I, guy though. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I, I, I liked him. I haven't seen him in years and years mm. and years. I don't know. I've heard
0: recently that he moved to New York uh from mm. a mutual friend. So
1: Okay. Yeah. Well, I, 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 he, he, he used to live in Middletown and he had a he had a wrestling school in Waterbury. Mm-hmm. And so a couple of people who went to my store regularly, uh this kid this guy Jason Wood and this kid Ernie were training there and jason also had a promotion if i recall correctly acid championship wrestling
0: ACW, assault championship wrestling i believe okay. Assault, i think i mean there might have been an acid pro or acid championship from i remember having a discussion recently and they mentioned assault championship wrestling run by jason knight
1: so. I remember it being acid, but you know I'm fifty. Yeah. I'm fifty-six years old, guys. My brain, you gotta give me a mercy.
0: My brain might not be all there either, so okay, good. I'm getting up there. So good. I could be wrong. Good, good. So
1: anyway, he had his yep. school in Waterbury, and because of Jason Wood and Ernie, they invited me to come down. They wanted me to manage mm-hmm. their. They wanted me. They wanted me to manage their tag team. So I came up with my wrestling persona which was christian law born again minister of champions <laughs> and went down there and they threw me around the ring yeah on a, on a couple of occasions and i gotta stress again it wasn't like real training it wasn't really learning anything about it but it was just they were just showing me a couple of they just showing me a right. couple of things you know And all I was going to be was the manager, all right? So I'm not trying to overstate my position or Mm -hmm. anything like that. I was just there to be tossed around and go manage these guys. But they showed me how to do some moves, and I was amazed. I never really thought about how carefully the two wrestlers have to work absolutely together and be on Mm -hmm. the same page at all times, and each one has to know what the other's doing, and even if one guy is just putting the other guy over, he at, he has to actively participate and actively do it and actively make the other guy look good. Mm-hmm. It's a much more involved process than I ever dreamed, and it made me respect it all the more. All you know? well the more, right.
0: Yeah. Um, That's one thing I never take any kind of, like I always respected the professional wrestling business. I've never been involved outside of just, Going to shows, you know what I mean? And then uh, writing briefly, you know, in the uh, late 90s, early 2000s, and now this podcast. So, you know, but I made friends, and and I totally respect what happens in that ring, and I've never discounted anything.
1: So oh, yeah, that's yeah. one thing,
0: you know, because it's like, I know people get hurt. I mean, look at, like, guys like Owen Hart who passed in an accident in the ring, you know what I mean? Yeah. So you never discount and call anything fake, because anything can happen in any given moment.
1: No, and you have to always take into account too. And this is something else I went with the sheer level of athleticism that's required. Oh, absolutely. I would suggest anybody out there who might be a doubter or a naysayer, go into a ring and run the ropes for one minute. One minute. I've heard. Run the ropes and see what kind of shape you're in afterwards, and then talk about it. Okay. I, who've made a grand total of, well, I'm not going to say how much, made a grand total of. (laughs) some amount of money down there near the floor as a professional wrestler <laughs> and, um, ran the ropes for probably 30 seconds. Right. And I was wiped, dude. Yeah. It's not easy. And that's yeah. just like one of the most basic, fundamental, yeah. you know, uh, just like, that's just like one of the, the absolute most basic building blocks of any wrestling match is running the ropes. Right. Man you got to have lungs and a big, strong heart to run the ropes, dude. Never mind everything yeah. else.
0: And I'm terribly out of shape. There's no way I'd be able to do it at this age, in this condition. But I've heard guys like other athletes, like football players, baseball players, say that they want to get into it. And they were just like, Jesus, I've never like, encountered anything so hard. It's harder than football. It's harder than you know, baseball, any other sport. You know what sure. I mean? Well, They've as, always as Gordon, said that it was...
1: As Gordon Soley, the dean of wrestling announcers, always said... In wrestling, there are, there's no time out. There's right. no, there, there are no periods. Right. There's no rest. There's nothing. If you're going to do a 60-minute Broadway, you're in there for 60 minutes. Right.
0: I mean, look at some of the guys that have gone 60 minutes. I've seen Ric Flair, St- Ricky Steamboat go an hour. I mean, imagine those are two of the greatest of all time. It's just incredible, you know? I've seen Bret Hart and Ric Flair go at it in the Hartford Civic Center for an hour straight. It was incredible. You know what I mean? And those guys are nonstop. Those two were nonstop athletes, you know, wrestlers. Those aren't guys that will just sit there in a chin lock for a half an hour just to, you know, to get yeah. a rest. You know what I mean? Yeah. So when did you move to Connecticut? I moved to
1: Connecticut in late 1986. Late 1986.
0: Were you into wrestling at all at that time period? Not even at all. That was not at all? Not at all.
1: No? I was still very much over wrestling. Right. Well, wasn't following it. Knew nothing about it. So one fateful day, one things f- and guys smashing into the Coke machine and chairs right. flying all over the place, people scattering out of the way. All right. That was pretty cool. That was pretty cool. And um, then there was the intermission and um, Cactus Jack was there. Oh, yeah. He was supposed okay. to wrestle that night, but he'd thrown his back out the night before, at a big ECW event in Philly. Mm-hmm. This is this was June of '94, I want to say,
0: which is why it's easy to look
1: up because you can look up the event that he threw his back out in. I think he'd gone against okay. Sabu that night. So the the event that the main event where I was supposed to see him, I think, was Jack versus Sabu. Don't quote me, but he'd thrown his back out, but he went to Yonkers anyway. To hang out and say hi to the fans and sign autographs, and he was just talking to the fans,
0: right?
1: Which also blew my mind because in championship wrestling from Florida there was no interaction,
0: right? They're all backstage, the and, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Or if, if you did see Mike George across the room, you didn't dare approach him, you know. Or if, or if Joe LaDuke did walk by you, you, you certainly didn't say anything to him because it was Joe LaDuke, you know. Right. You just didn't. But here's Cactus Jack and i didn't even know who cactus jack was you know i didn't know i didn't know anything you got to remember too i didn't know anything about who any of these people were or what i was seeing It was the first wrestling i'd seen in over 13 years at this point probably closer to 15 or 16 because i hadn't been to a live match right since 76 or 77 most likely this is a whole new thing and um the main event that night ended up being the Funks, Terry and Dory Funk versus, I want to say Sabu and somebody else. But it was the same deal. The match was just out of control. By now, like, like there are no seats anywhere. People are just, We're like, right. standing around watching this and kind of milling about. At one point, somebody ended up under the ring, brawling and the rings, going up and down, and, you know it was just complete mayhem it was utterly nuts and i said okay i like this i like this a lot and for that brief golden moment from 94 to like mid to late 96 i was an absolute devotee of ecw from there until 96 you said till about 96 maybe early 97 maybe
0: so you didn't continue on
1: with the later years Nah, like, once it once it got to be all pussy jokes and suck my dick and I'm the pussy eating demon with vanilla flavored semen. I'm like, god damn it, you know. Yeah wrestling, yeah. wrestling was never Shakespeare, but this is just stupid yeah it, it I was mean, just so and... fucking dumb by then i couldn't i just couldn't sorry think... guys joel gertner i'm sorry but i just couldn't do it
0: man joel's quite the character in oh, real that. life you know he's that. nice he's a nice guy but it's uh you know i i get what you're saying because it's just i think we grew up in different lifestyles where we didn't necessarily appreciate that kind of humor it was all trash trash humor and trashy looking women and that kind of stuff you know what i mean so yeah I mean, just, just
1: one thing you know and it's like, yeah, it came know, from different yeah it yeah i'm not gonna sit here and say you're wrong i'm not gonna right. say you shouldn't have done that i'm not gonna say joel gertner or anything like that right not at all far be it for me to criticize the the efforts and the honest work that the people were still doing at ecw at the time you know it's, it's the same deal i would never ever ever presume to try to pull off what these guys were pulling off up until the very end of ecw never i just did not like the humor anymore and of course you know the, the talent had been poached so ruthlessly or
0: right.
1: depending on how you look at it farmed out mm-hmm. to wwf by then oh
0: absolutely yeah
1: you know it was just like this This diminished the constantly diminishing returns, and I really think that they they did end up doing the best they could with what they had. Mm -hmm. Especially,
0: especially like the last year, year and a half, you got to look at it. WCW was like taking everybody. WWF was also, I think it was more so WCW, but WWF was also gouging people like Taz, you know what I mean? But WCW was taking everybody. You know, it turned to the time period where WWF sent Taz back just to be a WCW guy and Mike Awesome for the world title. You know what I mean? So, did you go to any of the events and later? Because I know they were in Danbury, which was your turf. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. I was. I remember going to one of the pay-per-views, and I got to see Dusty Rhodes live in person. You know what I mean? Because, yes. you know, I was a little bit younger, and Dusty Rhodes worked for the NWA when I was growing up. So, NWA never came to Connecticut until 1989. He was in WWF at the time period. I think he barely came to, while he was in WWF, they barely came to Connecticut at the time period. But I got to see him wrestle Steve Carino at Mm -hmm. a pay-per-view, and I was front row for that. I had the front row, and I was, like, amazed. I got to see the legendary American dream, you know what I mean? And Steve Carino, today, he's still one of my favorites, you know what I mean? Like, uh, like, his gimmick at that time period where he's a king of old school, he was killing it for only a couple years in the business.
1: You know. Yeah, it was good. So, I remember that. That was over at uh, Western Connecticut State University at the. Yeah. Gym, and we yeah. had hosted Rob Van Dam and Bill Alfonso that day at the store. We did an in-store. With, how did I
0: not know about that? I mean, I have no idea as a frequent customer to your store, I have no idea how I didn't even know of that. <laughs> so.
1: it, was, it was pretty nuts, I man. It was the most people we ever had in the store at one time ever.
0: Uh, wow.
1: no, nobody bought anything they were all there for rob van dam and alfonso but it was still kind of interesting to see we had we had to like line them and let this kind of like yeah. conga line throughout the store just to get everybody in there and they were out the door i don't even know how much money rob van dam made that day but it was a lot
0: and we're um, supposed to be getting uh bill alfonso i spoke to him recently he's supposed to be coming uh, on supposed to be coming on the show at some point down down the road, and he's he's all for it.
1: I should mention Bill Alfonso was a referee in Florida when I was watching wrestling. And it's one of those deals I had no idea, because I didn't remember who any of the referees were when I was watching wrestling in Florida. But going back and watching the old tapes, it's like, oh, referee Bill Alfonso, what do you know?
0: The referees didn't have characters at that time period. It wasn't until like some of the time period in the later 80s. The NWE had Tommy Young, who was possibly the best referee in professional wrestling but you guys had like teddy young or teddy long excuse me um you know who had a character who was like the heel referee and obviously bill alfonso bounced from territory to territory he was in nwa several nwa territories wwf and uh i'm trying to think and then he uh you know all of a sudden popped up in ecw as a manager like for Rob Van dam and sabu so i mean
1: he was quite the character you gotta remember he started off as the heel referee in ECW and right. work his way into the managerial position. In Florida, you know, if you go back and watch some of his matches in Florida, he was one of those. He was a really good referee. He was very proactive. He was uh, on the move constantly. He really, you could tell, he was really working in the context of the match. He was an excellent referee. Yeah. And uh, when he came into ECW and started doing the, the heel referee, that was another thing I just thought was hilarious. Oh, was, It was so funny, man. ECW was so legitimately funny. Yeah. And there was so much humor in what they did for those first golden couple of years. I don't think anybody's ever touched it. You know?
0: Right. I think you're right. I mean, I've watched it from the beginning probably you know however many months it was when it was nwa eastern i watched it all the way to the end but uh i definitely understand what you're talking about the golden era of it being that being its best period probably up until like you said 96 97 then there was like dick and fart jokes basically you know and stuff mm-hmm. like that so i mean some of the wrestling was pretty good but then it just became too many ladders and chairs and stupid bad jokes and comedic things it wasn't enough about the wrestling you know it was just like everything would just run together you had to have yeah. a table a table no matter what there need to be a table at least five minutes into the show there had to be some sort of table involved in it and they always use like guys like the sandman and his wife doing some sort of weird angle and she popped up a few times in the storyline so do you watch today at all any Not wrestling all. today I mean,
1: no a, a, well i'll i'll so I'll backtrack on that. See, I'm a little bit handicapped because I'm old school. In it's quite I, all right. <laughs> you know, I don't have cable TV. I don't have a satellite. Somebody I find just, that amazing.
0: I, I, I do, because I would not have cable. It wasn't for my wife, who just needs to watch all her shows on cable TV. I would never. Yeah. You know, I use the Internet for everything, for, you know, TV so
1: go ahead. I'm sorry. And then that's the thing. I've I've only just sort of now becoming aware of the fact, due to talking to people like you, that you can use the internet for T V. Like you can go onto YouTube and they've got like the, the NWA power show. Have
0: you <laughs> watched that? I've seen uh, I'm a sorry. few of those.
1: I've seen I a think few
0: of those. That is my favorite wrestling show today. It's sad that it's kind of on like postponed until um you know until the you know whenever they decide to start filming again but the pandemic ruined everything mm-hmm. but that is my favorite wrestling show as of today because it's it reminds me of when i was a kid watching nwa and tbs in the studio you know yeah absolutely
1: all all the way to the giant size cameras and right the set. Yeah. and it's pretty good man it's pretty good and I'm, i was going to say that the only time i ever watch tv now is when i'm on tour as mm. a you know I'm, i tour a lot as a as a rock and roll musician So, I'm on the road a lot, and when I stay with people, they've usually got cable or satellite, or they know where to go on YouTube to find stuff. So, for example, when I stay in Tucson, Arizona, my friends out there, are they've got the WWE channel, right and and they're very much into the current WWE. They're big fans of what's happening now in WWE, so if I'm in Tucson and I'm visiting we'll sit down and we'll look at the current WWE and my critique of the current WWE is that while I'm seeing the usual high standard of of athleticism and there are good matches, especially with the women, I think the the women's
0: the women today are like the top of like WWE. That's like the, that's like the best roster, you know, uh, the best um, division they have right now. The women, it's it's come a long way like yeah. sorry go ahead it's
1: it's really good yeah. i i can watch the women what yeah. what i don't like is just it's just too hollywood it's too absolutely. choreographed absolutely absolutely too scripted everything down to the sound effects they've got this one it's one smacking yeah. sound that they use for everything. Well, do you Someone realize gets hit in the chest, you hear that smack. Someone gets hit in the face, you hear that one smack. It's like, come on, guys.
0: Well, do you realize there's like a bunch of guys every time they throw the fucking leg? It's just they got the knee slappers, you know, they put like yeah. it, it's it's ridiculous. And I don't keep up with current WWE raw smackdown. I have the WWE network. I don't remember the last time I actually watched it. I'm still getting charged for it. So I'm like, you know,
1: watching there, right?
0: Yeah. But no. I'll go on and watch like old Mid Atlantic every now and again. I'll like it'll be like a Saturday, but like I got nothing to do. I'll sit there and watch eight hours of Mid Atlantic or Mid South or you know the old awa footage because it's just Uh it's the stuff i grew up on i have no idea what the hell is going on in current wwe You're saying that you stayed in arizona there's a great promotion out there called championship wrestling from arizona which i really appreciate it's part of um it's kind of associated with the current nwa a little bit Uh through through the united network who also runs championship wrestling from hollywood they're all kind of like a unit the three of them it's really good stuff to like really watch Uh um they just started a show. It's like a a weekly show called primetime Live on the Fight app. So, you know, and and that's that's a lot of fun to watch. It's it's really good, and it shows you what the professional wrestling actually could be if professional wrestling outside of WWE, you know. Existed to the mainstream in a way, if if you're understanding what I'm saying.
1: No, I mean I okay. know what you're saying, and it's kind of the same deal. Like if somebody said, "Hey, there's there's a there's a card by one of those promotions." If I were in Tucson, yeah. Arizona, and somebody said, "Yeah, there's Championship Wrestling from Arizona. Let's go," I'd go. I you would know, highly
0: recommend it. Check it out. You know what I mean? Yeah. Out of the those three organizations that I mentioned, I would highly recommend going to you know Championship Wrestling from Hollywood if you're ever in there. The, the, um that's one of my favorite shows to watch like mm. uh on a weekly basis you know they they just re, like started uh, i think in the last couple of weeks doing tv tapings again so it's all available online you could just go through i don't watch i watch everything i watch is internet based I and mean, you know i'm yeah, very right. rarely, you know or dvds or you know i've actually got an abundance of uh wrestling dvds recently i'm sure you might be interested i got a whole collection of old memphis dvds recently mm. from uh high spots and one of my favorites that i picked out was the best of eddie gilbert which i was oh. just oh my god it's such an awesome dvd
1: that's cool, cool. that's yeah. cool well i'm gonna be as of as of this moment that we're speaking live i'm leaving to go to uh, charlotte north carolina in a few days because this band i'm in the almighty anti-scene who are four total heels are doing a, a big broadcast a live broadcast on the face the But when I'm down there, I stay with one of these dudes, and he's got all that stuff. And he will say, okay, we're going to watch W.A. Power or whatever. So I'll be doing a little catching up with the current non-WWE product over the next week or two.
0: I'm aware of some of the WWE personalities, I guess, wrestlers. But it's just the product. I have no idea what's going on. People will message me, text me, like i have no idea what you're saying you know i don't watch current WWE.
1: yeah ever since they changed
0: from the f to the e it's become definitely e you know what i mean it's it's
1: entertainment yeah even if if they just stripped away some of that post-production i could probably watch it a lot more easily but
0: you're right about that it's uh it's too glamorous the pyro drives me freaking nuts that's one thing the pyro the gigantic titantron I'm like you said you're going to say like the armory or something for championship wrestling from Florida or, or whatever. Those are buildings. I love to go to. I can't go into, but I went to WrestleMania in 2019. Okay. It was, I don't know, 90,000 people, 80 something thousand people. I didn't, granted as expensive as the ticket was. I didn't know what was really going on. Cause <laughs> I don't watch WWE, but I went because it was close. You know, it was in New Jersey. It was eight hours. I was literally, I was just, okay, I'm going to go to this wrestling organization in East Haven, Connecticut. It fits about 40 people in their little building. I'm going to have a better time there as opposed to a gigantic WWE event. And that's true. I went to an indie show last night for two hours. I had a great time. I know some of the guys. Um, You know, I set up, it was fun. It was just, it was fun, you know? Mario Mancini from WWF, you know, do you
1: remember? He runs a school.
0: And yeah, he runs a school out there. So
1: the other band that I'm in, they hate us. Um, <laughs> I don't remember. Uh, yeah. well, our lead singer, PP P. Duvet, is also a huge fan of wrestling. He goes to the That's matches awesome. in, in he goes to the matches in Danbury all the time. Oh over, really? I I don't know the name of the promotion, but they do stuff with the police athletic league building, uh which okay. is a building similar to what you're talking about. It's just an events hall.
0: You're talking about Northeast, I think, Northeast Wrestling. That's They're awesome. probably one of the biggest promotions in the northeast new york they do new york new york and uh connecticut they've done shows in the same building the o'neill center that ecw ran and I, I, when i was you know however many years back i've gone to a couple there too mm. and the police in the police, police athletic center as well in danbury yeah yeah, yeah. A, they yeah. they run a good show but they get like the top indie talent and they'll bring in guys that, like, say, just got fired from WWF. You mm-hmm. know, when Cody Cody Rhodes left WWF, he was there on the next show, and the drew and sold out within minutes. Legitimately.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. PP yeah. keeps he keeps trying to drag me by the ear and get me to go to a match, but it's always a matter. of just scheduling nowadays. You know, yeah. it's a matter of finding a Saturday when I can break free from running my business to go see a card i'm not opposed to it at all it's just a matter of circumstance these days i would highly
0: recommend it and if you want to go to one of their smaller shows it's like 10 minutes from here i'm in hamden their their home arena is in bethany and they probably fit maybe 200 into the small arena and those are way more intimate and they run a lot of really good you know they're they're a lot of fun
1: so. Yeah, see, that, that's more my speed I'm not into entertainment, I'm into wrestling
0: Me too, and I love a, a great athletic contest uh, As far as when it comes to watching professional wrestling Tell me about your business What are you doing today as far as business goes? Are you still Whew. involved in the record
1: world? Oh, absolutely, yeah. man that's, uh, in, in this thing that we like to call the new normal <laughs> I'm still, uh, still very much the captain of, captain of my own ship You'll notice, uh, isn't it though? I've got my label TPOS, and anybody who ever read a Bill After magazine, I will hope would recognize this logo that I modified ever so slightly for my purposes. I know that logo, I would hope so. That's
0: the Victory Sports logo. If I'm
1: bingo, and that's actually that is a Victory Sports series headline font that I sampled one letter at a time and stuck into their logo so my label tpos i'm still releasing tons of stuff um, that's
0: amazing awesome which is
1: really great um speaking of wrestling one of the guys on my label who is the guitar player for anti-scene now did a record a bunch of years ago i hope you can see this as a wrestler mad brother ward he's got okay. his own got his own championship belt On the back, you've got a very early Sabu match photo. Oh, wow. You know, this is like 1991. I didn't know who Sabu was in 91, but I put out a record with him on the cover. So I just (laughs) did a reissue of that. This is like totally wrestling related. Um, So between TPOS, this TPOS logo, what do you think of that?
0: That's pretty amazing. Is that supposed to be Mr. Wrestling 2?
1: you are a very astute observer el santo
0: (laughs) i gotta show you something while we're here if i could Mm -hmm. dig it up quick enough if i could i
1: like the show and tell segment of the program this is like my favorite i love this
0: this is oh crap i just i have this nice autographed eight by ten
1: all right yeah cool
0: i got this earlier this year the day after he died i don't know do you know highspots.com
1: they're from charlotte
0: Absolutely, that's my favorite place. I literally get a package from them just about once a week. Yeah. Um, the day after they die, they do a the live gimmick table on Thursday nights at seven o'clock where they're just selling stuff. They have amazing deals. I got this and a DVD hosted by Steve Carino interviewing him together, and I had to buy this. You know, this well, is just yeah. something really cool to own. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's I like know. he died. This is literally with just a couple months old, so. That's an amazing piece to have, I think.
1: Yeah, see, 2 never crossed the border. He was strictly a Georgia guy. He never, ever did Florida. So I could only read about him in the after magazines, except once my family and I were on vacation sometime in the late 70s. And my my father, who was a big technophile, he would always get the latest gimmicks and gimcracks that were Mm -hmm. electronics related. And one year he got this five inch black and white TV that with a lot of effort you could plug into a cigarette lighter in a car oh amazing wow and so you could drive around and watch tv this was like amazing the thing probably cost him 300 bucks amazing technology and one time we took a family trip up into georgia and i will never forget just we're like we're in georgia that means georgia championship wrestling Getting there, and I fiddled through the dial, you know, UHF VHF, and I finally found a channel that had the wrestling. And sure enough, there was two the wrestling. That's awesome. Finally got to see it. It was great. It was so great. That's amazing. That's the, and that—that's the links you had to go to in order to see exactly. when wrestling. it was
0: different, you had to find different stuff. You had to literally find different stuff. I used to watch the Savoldis. Do you remember the Savoldis at all? The—they're small. Well, I don't want to say small, but they're mid-range, I guess, independent promotion. Savoldi so was a booker. He would get certain towns for WWF in the 80s. Do you know what I mean? When, after Vince took over. And then eventually Vince kind of, as he did with everybody, just, yeah, cut the chain. And so he started his own promotion, ICW. Eventually in 1991, they combined with Kevin Von Erich and World Class and changed it to IWCCW. And... Oh. Um, but I actually spoke to Kevin Von recently. He told me he never got paid for many of that. So eventually they were just using the name without ever giving him any money. <laughs> so, so, um, I forgot what my point of the story was. They were run from like New Hampshire, New Jersey, Boston area. And they were just, they would always, that was like the one independent promotion before I discovered indie wrestling and you know, anything outside of WWF and NWA, AWA and world class. That was like the one indie promotion I knew about. I used to get it I used to bounce from channel to channel. I used to get it on either sports channel. Okay, goddamn the contract ended. It's on this other channel, I had to look for it a couple months later and then I get it on the UHF channel. But I always stuck with it no matter where i can find it up until 1995 when they went out of business Mm, mm -hmm.
1: but But then but luckily by then ecw was in full swing so absolutely you'd you'd
0: be amazing it's amazing guys that were in icw iwccw would pop up in ecw at the time tommy dreamer was a mainstay in icw and then Mm. it became a huge star in ecw taz was uh Tasmaniac was created there, basically before coming to ECW. Hmm. Uh, Bubba Ray Dudley, he was there. Uh, Mongo Vile, Mondo Vile, something like that. It was like he wrestled on like a couple matches there before moving on to Bubba Ray Dudley, I believe. So wow, not that I'm a huge, you know, I'm not really a huge fan of his, so I don't remember the entire history.
1: Well, you see, that's the whole thing, man. When when the Dudleys, again, this is just one man's opinion, kids. When the Dudley's <laughs> first came on the scene, and he was buh 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 buh, that was hilarious. Yeah. But when Kate, yeah. came to, yeah, you're a fucking pussy. You can suck my dick. I'm like, what is this eighth grade? I, I think I've already lived through this before when I was 13 years old. But the initial gimmick was just awesome, man. It was a hoot.
0: Well, one of the, the um, he irritated me. I listened to his radio show almost every day. He's on busted uh-huh. open, and somebody asked him. Called in, asked him because he always had New York Hardcore (NYHC) written on his things, and the first group that came to his mind to mention New York Hardcore was Madball. <laughs> so immediately, I was like, "All right, forget it. This guy's yeah. an idiot. Yeah, this yeah, guy's an you know, idiot. I, 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 you know. <laughs> yeah, I was like, this guy's a moron. I can't like. I always complain that and think that he's kind of a moron in general. But then when he came out with that, I was like, yeah, well, it's confirmed now." you know well so. you know what's
1: what's funny about bubba ray um and ecw in general we we, we went to a couple of the uh house shows at the ecw arena like in 95 yeah. and we went back to i forget whatever the hotel was where they would have all the wrestlers stayed and mm-hmm. they hang out in the bar downstairs so we all went to the bar and you know everybody's there you know there's tommy dreamer walking around with the bandage and a hairnet and all the dried blood still on his face and the look in his eyes just walking around the bar and you know francine was there and sabu was there and sabu's one of the most frightening people i've ever seen up close and personal holy shite
0: he's doing a signing in southington very soon and i'm kind of like i want to go but at the same time i'm just like do I want to, I've met him once before, and this is going back 22 years ago in Buffalo, New York. So I'm just like, do I want to go and meet him again? Like, maybe he's calmed down a little bit, <laughs> you mm, know what I mean? Yeah. He might be a little bit more normal now. But even in shoot interviews, he seemed like he was a little bit off, like one that I watched not so long ago. But.
1: Well, all I know is kind of the same deal. He Sabu was sitting at a table at the bar talking to a really cute girl. It was like Mike George all over again. It's like you knew it was just bad form to go and try to talk to him while he was scamming on this chick. But yeah. one thing to see that scarred flesh on it's all TV, over, yeah, something else to see it in person, it's frightening. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. we had our video camera and we were asking all the wrestlers if they would cut promos for this cable TV show that we had at the time called Pierced Eyeball, it was like a music show. Right. And, you know, Francine wouldn't do it. She said, oh, I don't do endorsements. Okay, whatever. Um, <laughs> you know, but but everybody else would be like, hi, this is, you know, Bill Alfonso, and you're watching Pierce Eyeball. But Baba said, oh, you want me to do a promo? Okay, here, come here. And he actually, he took the time to take us all the way down to, like, a quiet, well-lit spot. Right. And posed in front of a wall, and he put on the top hat or whatever, and he did... You know, this is buh buh, 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 Ray Dudley, and oh, wait a minute, fuck, I messed it up. What was it called? He like really went through the effort to cut a real promo for us, right, so you know the the gimmick might have devolved into some real dumbness after a while, but you know my one interaction with him was very pleasant. And he was totally professional and he he did us right he and he didn't have to, you know, and he did so that was cool. that's amazing.
0: I hear. Not so positive stories from fans like interacting with him sometimes, like he just doesn't want to re- interact with people. That was always the one that was the more pleasant one out of the two, uh, right. like say, yeah, autograph signings, he's just there, collect a the paycheck sign, and just be like, Yeah, whatever, you know what I mean? Yeah. But you know, uh, that's actually probably only the second positive story I've ever heard from wow. him, but, <laughs> you know, out of, out of all these years. So,
1: no figure, yeah.
0: So, what, um before we hit the road, what are you up to today outside? Do you still run your label?
1: Yep, still right? do the label. I do a massive, I don't know a massive, but I do mail order yep. on Discogs and eBay. Still Once up again, with that, I'm yeah. Still doing that. Look up TPOS, or if you yeah. don't want to look up that, look up TPOS. That's T-P-O-S on Discogs and eBay. I sell nothing but cool stuff, and when you order something from me, I'm the guy who packs the box. Amazing. So, you know, you get a lot you get a lot of swag, you get a lot of moxie, a lot of good mojo when you order from TPOS. So just do it. I'm glad to see you're still doing
0: that and still involved in that and able to, I mean, considering, yeah. you know, I mean, I know, you, you know, I was a frequent customer for many years in your store, and I... One of the things is, you remember my buddy Ed, right? Oh, yeah. Of Ed. And, you know, I told him you were coming on, and he was just like amazed. He thought it was great. And, you know, and um, we talk about going to your store and spending many, we were there a couple of times a week sometimes. And it was just, it was a lot of fun. And we, oh, yeah. we miss it. We miss it dearly. And <sighs> I
1: know, it's unfortunate
0: the, uh, the situation that yeah. happened where I forced you guys out of there. But,
1: yeah, well, it, it's just one of those, it's one of those very odd things. It's like the old cliche when one door closes, and another one opens. Yeah, Um, as I'll tell anybody, uh, I I never, ever asked for the landlord to screw us out of our lease and just toss us out after 21 years. Mm -hmm. But because of that, I'm actually a full fledged member of one of my favorite bands ever, which that's been going on for about a year and a half now. And I still can't believe it. I still look at this and I see me next to the professional wrestler Rip Carnage. So, if everyone talks to a real life, honest to God dude who has been in the ring and gone over the top rope, Rip Carnage, I mean, Mad Brother Ward, Sir Barry Hannibal, I'm a full fledged member of Anti Scene who I've been a fan of since before you were born. It blows my mind. And it never would have happened if the landlord hadn't screwed us. So, right. you know, you take your blessings where you can find them.
0: That's amazing.
1: Yeah.
0: So outside of Discogs, is there anywhere people can find you? Well,
1: you know, know, uh, besides Discogs and eBay, I'm I'm on Facebook, you know, social media, Facebook. Look for Malcolm Tent, M-A-L-C-O-L-M-T-E-N-T. Look for this face. You see this face on Facebook. That's me. All right. Look me up. Be my friend. I'm very approachable. I swear. I'm on Instagram. I'm all over the place. Just look me up. If you don't believe uh, that I am I'm vouchable, ask our fabulous host, Mr. El Santo, <laughs> and he'll tell you I'm all and right. I forget
0: you have a uh, Bandcamp page as well for people that oh, want to yeah. check out your music. I was just on there earlier uh, hey. looking stuff up.
1: Yeah, man. So. I'm on Bandcamp, look me up on Bandcamp. Also, yes. T O All right,
0: everybody. Thank you very much, Malcolm.
1: Thank you. This is a lot of fun, man. I really really enjoy this. Very cool. See? That's all, folks.